0: Our scripture reading this morning is John 15, verses 12 through 17. That's found on page 12 of your worship guides. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. John 15, verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that that someone lay down his life for his friends. Please be seated. Have you ever been to Love Park in Philadelphia? Love Park in Philadelphia. That park is best known for its bright red statue. The letters L-O-V-E. Now help me out kids. What do the letters L-O-V-E spell? Love. That's right. Love. Love is a popular word but what does it mean? If you were to visit Love Park and ask 10 different people, you might get 10 different answers. A statue spelling love actually leaves us with a lot of question marks. But Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark. In verse 12, our passage begins with these words, This is my commandment that you love one another. Then in verse 17, our passage ends with these words, These things I command you... So that you will love one another. The bookends of this passage tell us the point. And the point is simple love one another. But Jesus has more to say. Between verses 12 and 17, he fills in the details. Think of this passage, if you will, as a Philly cheesesteak. It's July 4th, so I'm thinking about Independence Hall in downtown Philly. So think of this passage as a a Philly cheesesteak. The hoagie roll holds everything together. It's the command of Jesus at the beginning and the end to love one another. Then what do you find in the middle? You find the steak and cheese Whiz and onions and peppers. So think of this passage in that way. Do you want to know what it means to love one another? If so, listen to the words of Jesus. What is his commandment? Jesus says in verse 12 that you love one another as i have loved you now do you see the comparison in that verse the comparison we are to love one another as as jesus has loved us this is not the first time we've heard this from the lips of jesus you may remember that earlier in john 13 jesus said a new commandment i give to you that you love one another how just as i have loved you you also are to love one another We are to love the way Jesus loves. If you didn't know, that's the theme of our Sunday school class this summer, a combined summer Sunday school class. Together, young and old, we're learning how to love as Jesus loves us. Now notice, it's what Jesus commands. It's not a proposal. It's not a suggestion or a a request. We can't take it or leave it. No, it's a command. A command, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. But can we be more specific? What does it actually look like on the ground to love one another? What does that look like? Well, we don't have to guess, because Jesus tells us. Verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Laying down your life. According to Jesus, there's no greater love. To love, in the greatest sense of the word, is to lay down your life. Think about, think about that. Laying down your life. I'm sure we could share countless examples of what this has looked like. Many, many examples. Past, present. One story that comes to mind is the story of Josiah Henson... Josiah Henson was born a slave in Charles County, Maryland in 1789. He converted to Christianity, and he escaped to Canada. And then he went back to help other slaves escape to Canada. This is what he writes as he reflects on his life. It is one of the greatest sources of my happiness to know. What makes you happy? It's one of the greatest sources of my happiness to know that I've been instrumental in delivering 118 human beings out of the cruel and merciless grasp of the slaveholder. He helped not one, not two, not 75, but 118 fellow slaves escape to Canada. This brother in Christ, if you're a Christian, you'll meet him one day. This brother in Christ laid down his life again and again and again. We could share countless examples of people laying down their lives, But Jesus, in this passage, points us to an example that's above all others. He points us to his own example, to himself. How has Jesus loved us? He has loved us by laying down his life. We're in a part of John's gospel called the farewell discourse. The farewell discourse is chapters 13 through 17. We're in chapter 15, so we're right in the middle. It's called the Farewell Discourse because Jesus is saying goodbye. It's Thursday. Tomorrow is Good Friday. In just a few hours from when Jesus says this, in just a few hours, Judas will betray him. In less than 24 hours, Jesus will literally lay down his life. He will bleed and suffocate to death on a Roman cross. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for the world. Actually, that's not what Jesus says here. No, he says for his friends. Now, yes, there is a sense in which Jesus gave his life for the world. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. But that's not what Jesus says here. Jesus laid down his life for his friends. Are you a friend of Jesus? Are you a friend of Jesus? Did he lay down his life for you? How do you know whether or not you are a friend of Jesus? How do you know? Jesus tells us in verse 14. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Let that sink in. You are my friends if you do what I command you. How do you know whether or not you're a friend of Jesus? You are his friends if you do what he commands. And what does he command? Right in this passage, he says, Love one another. so we should ask the question, do we love others? Do you love others? Friends of Jesus obey Jesus. Their lives are marked by obedience. I talked recently with a friend of mine who lives in Philly. He's a diehard 76ers fan. Die hard. And he was telling me that two weeks ago, the 76ers lost a playoff series in game seven to the Atlanta Hawks. And my friend was telling me that, in his opinion, one of the 76ers players can't and won't shoot the ball. Can't and won't shoot. I was shocked. Can you be a basketball player if you can't and won't make baskets? Isn't that the definition of being a basketball player? A basketball star who doesn't shoot is like a so-called Christian who doesn't love. Can you be a Christian if you won't do what Jesus commands? No, you can't. So are you a friend of Jesus? Are you a friend of Jesus? For some of you, the answer might be no. When you look at your life, and if you're honest with yourself, You see anything and everything but obedience to Jesus. If that describes you, please listen carefully. You need to know this. Obedience cannot make you a Christian. Obedience cannot make you a Christian. Your so-called good works are not good enough for the holy God. The answer is not to leave here trying to do better. That's not the answer. Your obedience cannot make you a Christian. You cannot be saved by what you do. That's why we need Jesus. The answer is not found in our obedience, but in his. His obedience, his perfect life of righteousness was good enough. His obedience was good enough because he is the holy God. He was the one who became man. Jesus is the one who laid down his life, but took it up again. Jesus is the one who will call you friend if, if if you believe in him, and then do what he commands. And so my prayer, our prayer, is that you would believe and obey him today. Are you a friend of Jesus? For most of you, the answer is a glad-hearted yes. Yes, I'm a friend of Jesus. I believe in him, and I obey him. Yes, we obey him. Not perfectly, but truly, dependently. We are abiding in Jesus, the vine. We are the branches. We are abiding in him and bearing fruit by his spirit. If you are a Christian today, then you are doing what Jesus commands. Yes, I'm convicted by these words of Jesus. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I've been reflecting or meditating on that, on this passage for two weeks. You are my friend if you do what I command you. Remember, the standard for love is laying down your life, my life. Who isn't aware of his or her failures to love as Jesus loves? But we hunt for fruit, as Pastor Troy reminded us last week. We hunt for evidences of God's grace. We hunt for the good. We look for it, and it's there. God is helping us to obey our Savior. We look around our church family and friends. This is true. God is helping us to obey him. Not perfectly But dependently, we are abiding in Jesus, depending on the vine. We are his friends. Friendship with Jesus. Friends of Jesus. Let's think more about this theme together, because that's exactly where Jesus turns in verse 15. In verse 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. A proclamation, we are often reminded that Jesus is the truest, the best friend of sinners. A proclamation, those are familiar words. And, brothers and sisters, it is astounding that Jesus would call us friends. It is astounding. Guess how many people in the Old Testament were called friends of God? Guess how many people in the Old Testament were called friends of God? Maybe one, maybe ten, maybe a hundred, maybe many, many people. Two, Abraham and Moses. But what does Jesus now say? What does Jesus say? I have called you friends. I have called you friends. It's as though first class seating has suddenly and freely become accessible to everyone. Friends of Jesus, his true disciples, now join Abraham and Moses as friends of God. In verse 15, notice what distinguishes servants and slaves. Jesus says that the servant does not know what his master is doing. If you think about it, this is still true in our experience today. If you're an employee, you don't know certain things. You don't participate in the executive meetings. To some extent, you're in the dark. You're ignorant. You don't know what's going on. You're just doing what you're told. But that changes, doesn't it, if you become a friend? A friend knows what his employer, his boss, his master is doing. The relationship is more mutual more back and forth, more like a two-way street than a one-way street. As we think about that, think about the relationship between Moses and the Lord. In Exodus 33, we read that the Lord used to speak to Moses face-to-face, face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. If you remember, Moses is the one who prayed, please show me your glory. And what happened? The Lord showed him his glory. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. So think about how the Lord revealed himself, revealed himself to Moses, to his friend. Moses was in the know. And friends, that's the point. To be a friend of Jesus is to be in the know. Jesus makes known to us all that he has heard from the Father. And this revelation of the Father is what you hold in your hand right now. Jesus calls you his friend. He has made known to you the will of his Father. Imagine, imagine trying to le- live the Christian life without Scripture. Imagine. Without Scripture, without the Spirit speaking through the Word, we would be so clueless, so lost, so in the dark. But that's not how Jesus treats his friends. Jesus reveals the Father's will. He reveals his very heart. As we think about the theme of friendship and friendship with Jesus, I think this might be helpful. Imagine a regular piece of paper, eight and a half by 11, imagine a regular piece of paper with your name in a little box in the middle. Colin Gingrich. Right in the middle, a little box on this big piece of paper. Outside that box is a bigger box. In that box are the names of all the people who you feel closest to. These might be your best friends. I feel closest to these people. Outside that box is another box. In that box are the names of people who you feel close to, but not as close. Maybe these are your friends, but not your best, best friends. Outside that box is another box. These are the people in your life who you don't feel close to at all, more like acquaintances, or you recognize them, but you don't know their name. They're in your life, you don't feel close to. And then lastly, there's another box in that box, are all the people in your life who you don't get along with. So you see where I'm going in that box, that center box is your name, and those you feel closest to, those you feel a little less close to, those you don't feel close to at all, and then those who you don't get along with. This is a hands-on activity that I learned in one of my counseling classes, and there's more to it. There are more steps and things to do, but you get the point. The point is to better understand how we perceive the people in our lives. How do we perceive the many people in our lives? And here's the application for us. Where would you put Jesus? Where would you put Jesus? how do you perceive him? Is he in that farthest box, the people in your life who you don't get along with? Is he in that closest box, the box of those who you feel closest to? Where would Jesus be? Is he somewhere in between? Where would he be? Most importantly, how does he perceive you? if Jesus did this simple counseling activity and put his name in that center box, where would your name be? Where would your name be? If you are a Christian, then your name is in his closest box. You're in the box of those who Jesus feels closest to. That's the place for people that he loves, people who he likes. These are his best friends. He confides in them. He always, always, always wants to be with them. That's what it means to be a friend of Jesus. And how could this be? How could this be? How could I be a friend of Christ like this? How could you be his friend? It seems like that's the question that Jesus anticipates. But look with me at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. Why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian today? I can tell you why I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because my parents and others shared the gospel with me and I believed. I believed that I was a sinner deserving hell, but that Jesus Christ was the only Savior and my Savior. But let's probe a little more. Why did I believe when others didn't? Why did you believe when others didn't? Was it because we had it together? Or were more worthy or deserving or acceptable? No, you know the answer to that. Not one of us deserves to be called a friend of Jesus. So why do we believe? Why? Why? Jesus tells us, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Why did you believe when others didn't? Why are you a Christian today? Because Jesus chose you. He chose you. This would have resonated with the disciples. This would have made sense to them in, a, in an opposite sort of way. In their day... It was typical for a disciple to choose his rabbi. Did you get that? If you wanted to be a disciple, you would go out and pick your rabbi. I want to I follow this rabbi. The rabbi didn't go out and choose his disciples. But the disciples of Jesus didn't pick their rabbi. No, their rabbi picked them. Come, follow me, Jesus said. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. And what was true of his disciples then is true of his disciples now. You did not choose me, but I chose you. This is perhaps the clearest, simplest statement of the doctrine of election. Election. It might be helpful to think about how we elect candidates for public office. Election. In a similar way, God elects or chooses those who will be saved in his Son. I have here a booklet, it's called, What Are Election and Predestination? It's a really good, short introduction to this topic, and it's written for people like you and me who want to learn more. So, if you'd like to learn more about this topic, if you have questions or concerns, I have copies of this booklet, please see me afterwards, you're welcome to take one home and read it. Please see me afterwards, What Are Election and Predestination?, I have copies for you if you're interested. That's all we're going to say about election at this moment. And the point is that Jesus chose us. He chose us. But why? Why did Jesus choose us? Jesus says, "I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide." We were saved. We were appointed for a purpose, to go and bear fruit. Many of you are gardeners. This year or in years past, you you picked seeds or plants or trees and you planted them. Well, why did you do that? Seems obvious, right? Well, of course, I, I planted them so that they would bear fruit. Blueberries and figs and sweet corn and strawberries, you name it. We love the fresh fruit in 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 this area. So the point is that Jesus chose us. He appointed us. Why? So that we would go and bear fruit. We are that seed, that plant. He chose so that we would bear fruit, so that we bear harvest. Fruit, harvest, a crop. It might be that Jesus is thinking here about the fruit of love. Maybe the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc., it could, be, it could be that Jesus is thinking about love. It's more likely that he's thinking here about the fruit of converts. He's thinking about how others will come to love and treasure him through our witness. He's envisioning how, you could say, apple trees like us go out and become entire orchards, orchards of apple trees in Mount Joy and Middletown and Lancaster and, and everywhere. And once again, Jesus reminds us of how this will happen. How does this happen? How do we go and bear fruit that abides? How do we fulfill this mission? We do it on our knees. Jesus says, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. As gardeners, we bear fruit by weeding and watering and fencing. As Christians, the point is that we bear fruit by praying. We ask the Father in the name of Jesus so that he may give it to us. We need God's help. We want his help. And his help is not only available to us, but it's promised. So that the Father may give it to you. And that's the encouragement we all need. Friends, the takeaway, when all is said and done, is found in verse 17. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Love it makes me think of Love Park in downtown Philadelphia. But do you see how only Jesus can give us the true and full and proper and biblical interpretation of what, of what it means to love? Christian, Jesus laid down his life for you. He calls you his friend. He chose you and he sends you. And the Father will answer your prayers in his name. So brothers and sisters... Let us go out and love one another as Jesus loves us. Amen.